So, Shane. You have to say hi first. Hi, Shane. (laughs) (laughs) Hello. We've been doing this long enough. So, like, I think we discussed it in a very recent episode. So I, I moved recently oh, yeah. into an old house. But we were figuring out all the things, you know, when you move into a new place and you're trying to figure out all the things. And we we're trying to figure out if we had, like, a there there should be, like, a pipe that goes to the outside so oh, we sure. can, like, water the outside and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. And, like, you know, we're going to need to figure it out because it's, you know, it's not getting cold yet. But when it gets cold, you know, you just turn, turn off that line because mm-hmm. it can freeze and it can like burst Mm -hmm. and like that could be bad yeah so (laughs) so i can relate to that i live in a my my partner and i we live in a very old house right now and it has uh an un kind of an unfinished attic or part of it's unfinished uh and so there's there's a bathroom upstairs though too Mm -hmm. and there's a pipe that runs basically out like outside of the finished part so it's not like insulated it's not insulated Ah. or at least very well so last year uh it was a very cold couple of weeks here in dc i was like what down in the 20s or something we had a couple weeks where it was was pretty wild and uh, my partner and i were getting ready to go to a baby shower or something we're in the basement to the bottom of our three floors and i hear this like I don't know, cacophony of sound. My dog starts barking. I'm like, what the heck is that? And I walk up to our middle level and there is water pouring out of our light fixture in our dining room. And so I run upstairs, open like the side door to where I see this, where this pipe is. And there's the pipes just split. Uh, it's like an inch pipe and water is just shooting oh, out of it everywhere. So luckily I knew where like the shutoff valve was. Run the whole way downstairs, turn the shutoff valve off the entire house, and we, <laughs> instead of going to a baby shower, we spent the entire day mopping up all of the water. Uh. We ripped out insulation. Like, our, our poor dog didn't know what the heck was going on. He just, like, jumped on our bed and stayed away from all of it. Uh, yeah, um, it was it was. It was bad. It was, and uh, yeah, it was like 20 degrees outside. So luckily, like, it didn't, like, we, we shut off enough electricity. Like, it was all fine. We ended up getting fixed in a couple of days. But yeah, learned uh, the hard way about uh, old, I guess, infrastructure yes. <laughs> in houses. Welcome to the American Geophysical Union's podcast about the scientists and the methods behind the science. These are the stories you won't read in the manuscript or hear in a lecture. I'm Shane Hanlon. And I'm Nancy Bompy. And this is Third Pod from the Sun. So you were like super lucky that you guys hadn't <laughs> left the house yet. No. I mean, if you if you had been, you know, whatever, 15 minutes later and you were gone. We were getting ready to leave. It yeah. is it is so yeah, we are incredibly fortunate. <laughs> um, but I guess this we're talking about this right <laughs> as as always we have a point we do have a point yeah uh so a little bit of a little backstory for this specific episode so this is the first of three part of kind of a special series highlighting some of um our voices for science advocates so voices for science is its initiative through the sharing science program which is what i'm part of uh and it centers around training scientists about how to communicate like the needs and the value and impact of earth and space science to 
decision makers and journalists and policymakers and non-science public and all of that deal. Uh, so basically, we recruit folks uh, from our membership to be in a couple of different tracks, kind of more policy-focused and more communications and media-focused. And it's a really great opportunity. It offers scientists interested in these different areas kind of specialized training to hone their skills. So it's a year-long program. We bring folks in to do um, kind of intensive training at the very beginning and then um, work with them throughout the year. And so during our April training, uh, which was the beginning of the cohort, we had a chance to interview three new advocates, uh, and the first of which you'll hear today. Hi, everyone. I'm Paula Buchanan. I'm a doctoral student in emergency management at Jacksonville State University. And I study what it's called water stewardship, or how we can more effectively use our limited water resources. So Paula is a uh, water and data expert, and we were very stoked to chat with her about exactly what someone studying emergency management does. What does a normal day look like for you, or is there a normal day? There, there isn't a normal day. Uh, you know, sometimes I'm actually just doing regular coursework because I'm in the second year of my program. Sometimes I'm actually working with uh, what's called the Georgia Association of Water Professionals uh, in, a, in Georgia, or GOP for short. So I do a lot of work with their public education and outreach committee. Uh, one of the things that is concerning about the research that I do is how to, how to more effectively communicate risk of water or a lack of water to more vulnerable populations. And so GOP already have a lot of stuff in place. What's also unique about the state of Georgia is that they actually have uh, in there, I think there's social studies or civics curriculum. I'm so old, I think it's one of those, but I don't know what it's called, <laughs> or civics in my day. But they actually have water stewardship to a degree as a part of their elementary school curriculum. Which is, I know, I, I'm, really? looking at, I'm looking at Shane's face and yeah. he's like, what? <laughs> yeah. I found this out recently. I didn't know either. And so it's interesting that they're actually trying to teach youngsters about this in, in uh, I think, K through six. It's a part, it's a mandatory part of their curriculum. So that's why I'm looking at that state. Is, is that a, so is, is that unique to the state? Because that's not something I'm super familiar with. Like, is that because it is where it is? I think so. So uh, if anyone knows anything about the states of Georgia, Alabama, and Florida, they have more than just a co SEC college football rivalry. <laughs> they also have yeah, – the rivalry extends to water. So there's this river called the Chattahoochee that flows through um, – I think it's uh, definitely through Georgia, maybe through parts of North Florida – and they've had been in what's called the legal water wars for a long time. Uh, the good news for the state of Georgia is they've actually won the water wars recently. Um, the bad news is it's probably going to go up to the Court of Appeals, possibly to the Supreme Court, if you know Alabama and Georgia have their way. Because the college football thing is also kind of translated into water too. So it's like, you know, it's fighting right, so, so to speak. And so one of the things I think the state of Georgia has realized is, hey, you know, we won this battle, but can we win the war? We have to get people to not you know, water their lawns when it's raining or something like that, or just, you know, brush your teeth and turn the water off, just a little, or not put oils down down um, the drain or stop using garbage disposals because those are bad too. They're fighting to access the water. So can you, I can't, I can't imagine like fighting for water rights. I know. I mean, I guess here, obviously in DC, we're not one of those places that's really stressed, but mm -hmm. I mean, you can, you know, there are some science fiction stories, but I think it's becoming closer to reality about with climate change. I mean, this is going to be a reality that people fight over over water. It's 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 no joke. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why it's 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 good that there are folks like Paula out there to communicate like how how important this type of stuff is. Mm -hmm. 
My goal is to how to more effectively communicate the risk of water scarcity to more vulnerable populations. To number one, let them know that, you know, we could become Cape Town, South Africa that had what they called day zero where they were going to run out of water. That could definitely happen in Atlanta and it could de definitely happen in Alabama, Georgia, or Florida for that matter. So we need to conserve and also to empower people to actually take control of it. So we can come off, you know, the, the ivory tower of academia and tell people, well, this is what you should do because I say so. <laughs> That's no good. Yeah. <laughs> That's no good. I just need you to know? have you follow me around and just be like, this is what you shouldn't do. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, you, it, I just, and honestly, as a woman of color, I don't really feel right being in that kind of, you know, overseer role it just doesn't feel right so I feel as a woman of color in this field it's really important for me to try to empower other people of color who are more likely to be more vulnerable populations that you can take control of this you can actually conserve water you can create green space in your neighborhood to help you know you know filter water and things like that how does it happen that a city like Atlanta or wherever could run out of water like how does that happen and then what would happen if that actually were the reality uh, if that were like, the reality, we would probably have to get water from other uh, from other states, if, if possible other countries. It'd be very, very expensive. Unfortunately, like Atlanta, like a lot of older cities, has really old, crumbling infrastructure. When I first started researching their their pipe system, they still use clay pipes. Hmm. Oh the looks God. on your faces, yes, they still yeah. use clay pipes that can crumble. If you watch local Channel 2 News in Atlanta, you'll see there's always a water main break. There's also a lot of new industry coming in, and when they come in, they kind of do whatever they want. So they'll just start digging somewhere and hit one of those clay pipes. And, of course, since it's clay, there's no replacement for it. But one of the things that Atlanta is doing really well is their their, their Department of Watershed uh, Management. Shout out to the people from there I know. <laughs> um, I actually participate in their water safety and ambassador program, which is a way to increase civic engagement and to let more people know about water being a scarce resource. But, That's great. Uh, yeah. And I even got a hard hat too that says watershed <laughs> management. I'm very proud That's of that. That's a pretty cool swag. It is. And they give us a little matching vest too. But one of the issues is that, you know, people don't know. And it's important that people understand that, yeah, you know, if, if, if a new company comes in, another Fortune 500 company moves into Atlanta and decides to do all this, uh, you know, construction and hits one of those clay pipes, there's not a replacement for it. So, you know, there's going to be a boil water advisory or it's going to take a while or the streets could flood, which happens. So I think a lot of times people get angry and frustrated. You know, sometimes I do, too. But I, I think if, if people understood, you know, what you know, the city is dealing with with this crumbling aging infrastructure, maybe they would be a little bit less kind of nasty sometimes, mm -hmm. I think. Have you, so have you ever been under like a boil water advisory or anything? I mean, I'm sure that I have at some point in my life, but I also fondly recall my grandparents like lived in Florida when I was little and uh, my grandma would boil all the water. We were not allowed <laughs> to drink any water that was not boiled. Just because? Yeah. I, I'm not actually sure it was bad, but you know, they were convinced I mean, but it's kind of like this, like, I guess better safe than sorry. True. So then what happens when it does rain? It, it floods. So, okay, yeah, <laughs> and so I, I you know, I, I love to walk. So, and I, I live in a nice neighborhood for walking. So I'll walk around and I walk probably several blocks before I see one drain. Yeah. Wow. So that, so that, so that's an issue and you're getting more people. Everyone's wanting to move to hot Atlanta, you know? So, um, so you have limited resources, you have an infrastructure that's not really designed to have, um, you know, millions or tens of millions of people. So it's just, it, it it's just, it's, it's getting to be 
that something has to be done because it would be incredibly expensive to go through and try to create all those grades. Are you uh, are you seeing change? Or is there like you were saying about it'd be really important to go out with like these clay pipes to s have people actually see um, what's happening and potentially people um, in a position of power to make that change. Like, is there is the work you're doing and others doing? Are you seeing this kind of shift in mentality that people are realizing how important this is or? Are we kind of on the front end of that? Like where, I guess in Atlanta, like where is that right now? I think it's slow, but that said, one thing I have to say talking about, again, the Department of Watershed Management, they're very forward thinking about, and also the city's government about two or three mayors ago, uh, Mayor Shirley Franklin, another black lady, another <laughs> lady of color, she decided, you know, hey, this city is going to get big. We're gonna have to do something. And she basically took uh, an old rock quarry, which I can discuss a little bit more in detail later, and she said, this is going to be our water reserve. This is how we're going to save this city, because Delta was there. Delta was becoming even bigger than, mm -hmm. it, is, than, than it was at the time. And she was very forward-thinking, saying, I'm going to focus on water and sewer. And she was called the, was it the poo-poo mayor? <laughs> and she's like, yeah, I'm the poo-poo mayor. Call me the poo-poo mayor. You know, and uh, mark my words, she almost had like a Don Quixote movement, like, you know, mark my words, I'm going to fight this windmill, I'm going to fight this. And she turned out to be incredibly spot on because um, the city has created this huge walk quarry, which I can talk about in a little bit more detail. Mm -hmm. But it's actually for those of you who are Walking Dead fans, it was the yeah. it was the scene where maybe at the end of season three or season four, where they all, Daryl and everyone and Rick, you know, take all the walkers and knock them into this big rock quarry. <laughs> That's the rock quarry that is now full of water. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Did you did you get a chance to like actually have you been out there like to visit it and <laughs> yeah yes I did so um, at the time I think it was under maybe maybe Mayor Kasim Reed Kasim Reed they had what they called the Water Safety Ambassador Program and what they were doing was trying to get people to be community leaders especially in communities of color to let people know what are the water issues here and what could we do about it to work as a team to empower each other and so um, some friends of mine who were in a a group called Urban Explorers had actually gone down to the quarry and I was all excited but I couldn't get my ticket fast enough and <laughs> then they opened another section and then that that sold out I was like I have got to get to the bottom of this quarry <laughs> it's just gonna happen so every day for about six months at the end of every session of our of our, uh, our, our ambassador program I would raise my hand and I and they say Paula are we going to get to do a tour of the quarry? <laughs> and I did it every single, and like, yeah, Paula wants to tour the bottom of the quarry. And I was like, well, you know, once it's full of water, you'll never be able to do it. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of a landmark because it's how you could mark Atlanta or you were getting close to Atlanta when you'd fly in because you'd see this big hole, mm. massive hole. So we got to go down there. We had our beautiful little vests and our hard hats, and they had these kind of golf cart dune buggies. I, I don't really know what they were, and they pile a whole bunch of us in there and we just kind of like rev the engine and basically go like <laughs> in an oval in a circle going down further down into the bottom of the quarry so we got to we got a tour um and uh they the, the way the quarry works is they were going to drill a hole that would go a big pipe that would go and hit part of either the chattahoochee or part of a reservoir forward i honestly can't remember right mm -hmm. now and so they got the community involved. There was this big drill, and we were all going to name the drill. And 
And so there was like this this social media Twitter campaign, like, okay, what what which one do you, do you want to vote for? And so they called it Driller Mike because the rapper Killer Mike, Killer Mike lives in Atlanta <laughs> yeah, from Alabama, but he lives. So yeah, we got to see where Driller Mike would be going and nice. take pictures with Driller Mike, and it was a really phenomenal experience just to see how big it was, the scale of it and how it could actually help Atlantans. So I will say shout out to Department of Watershed Management and the city's uh, government for being very proactive. You know, you know what this reminds me of? I actually think I think I do. What's that? Are you going to say that like Mo- Bodie McBoat face? <laughs> exactly. <what> I, <laughs> I, I've seen the actual Bodie McBoat face. It, oh, really? What ended up not being, so they didn't name the ship, right? Right. It's, um, I think it's... um. It's a submersible. It's like a remote submersible. Oh, okay. Um, it was a AAAS meeting this past year. Oh, that's fun. So that's yeah, cool. I actually, <laughs> I may have gotten my picture. I don't know. Who knows? But yeah, that's, I don't know. That's fun. <laughs> I would say, this is going to sound weird because I'm not from New Jersey, but uh, I went to a book signing for, uh, for, for Senator Cory Booker major fan i just think he does really great work and um we were just talking about communicating risk or how you communicate issues that are hard to communicate to the public and one of my um little wonky things of interest is i love what's called data visits or data visualizations how you basically use visuals to communicate information and uh we were he was talking and i it was a really small group it was weird he came to atlanta and he he was in this huge auditorium and there were maybe like 50 to 100 people and it could have fit 500 Mm -hmm. so we you know he could basically see each of our faces and uh i think he asked something about a data visualization tool and i got this little light bulb look on my head uh, over my head and i didn't realize the room was so small and he saw me do it and i had my big tulane university uh, shirt on because that's that's where i graduated from undergrad he's like tulane girl did i say something exciting you know or something like he called me out i'm like oh my god Cory Booker's calling me out this is kind of awkward nice. and i was like well yes you did you started talking about data visualizations and he's like well let's talk afterwards and so we had this conversation about you know um, you know, how you could more effectively use them, what are the good tools, um, are there any restrictions on privacy information that you put in these tools. And so I actually got to talk to, I think, maybe his deputy director or chief of staff and just had a really good conversation about how you can use these tools to more effectively communicate across multiple people, multiple languages and cultures to kind of get the same message out to different people. Well, we both we both live in D.C. and have both kind of worked in politics or politics adjacent. So I guess we both have met... Um, politicians met my fair share yeah but have you met anyone you've like you've geeked out over probably probably but i'm like i like a very shy nervous (laughs) and i don't want to talk to them and i run away (laughs) i love it i love this idea of just like picturing you just like seeing someone who you're you're like oh i want to talk to that person and then literally just turning around and running away like scampering away yeah i am like such a nerd I have a public health background. I've done things in business. I've done communications. Um, right now, I'm in emergency management. When I was in public health, I think I wanted to do disaster emergency management, but I didn't know it was a field. And honestly, when I talk to people who've been in the field much longer, it was not. So for me, it's great to be able to learn from other people from other disciplines, because I think, especially if you're in academia like I am, you don't have that opportunity. So. One of the great things about where I am right now, which is at AGU in Washington, <laughs> D.C., is I'm around the hydrologist. Where's the, the volcanologist isn't in the room right now, but, you know, you got all these different people doing all these interesting things, and I think it's great that we can actually learn from each other. Mm-hmm. 
I swear we didn't put her in as a plant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, Jane. You fed her that line. <laughs> oh, man. No, I was in the room when she said that, and my eyes just lit up. I was like, ah, oh, this is so great. It's so nice that... I mean, one, it's nice to get a plug, but uh, no, it's good that the, 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 the cohort, the Voices of Science folks really um, are getting out of it what we want them. We hope that they get out of it. Sure. Uh, so, all right. Uh, well, that's all from Third Pod from the Sun. Thanks so much, Shane. Yeah. Um, and of course, Lauren also helped with this episode. Um, and of course, to Paula for sharing her work with us. This podcast was produced and mixed by Kayla Suri and I guess me. Yes, you did something. I did. This. <laughs> yeah. You would think we'd, we'd know how to do this by now. <laughs> um, so if you like this podcast, please rate and review us. Write a review. It really helps people to find the podcast. Yes. Um, you can always find new episodes on your favorite podcasting app or thirdpodfromthesun.com. And uh, be, look on, be on the lookout for a couple more episodes featuring our Voices for Science folks. As well as our regular episodes. All right. Thanks all. And we'll see you next time. Thank you.